Built to Sell Radio with your host, John Warlow. So you just never know when you're going to need to exit your company. And you may be listening to this saying, I'm you know five years away, I'm 10 years away from wanting to sell. Well, that may be true, but you never know when you're going to get sideswiped by the unexpected. And that's exactly what happened to John Maddox. So John Maddox was a 20-something young guy developing a great business called 10 Fast Feed. It was an interactive agency. He would had it up for four years when he'd reached $2.3 million when he got a phone call from a doctor that he didn't expect. And it hit him like a ton of bricks. And I'll let him tell you the rest of the story. What I want you to listen for in particular was the fact that with his partner in this business, they had no predetermined way to value one another's shares. So when it came time to John to exit, to sell his shares, in fact, it became a major, major bone of contention. And it could have been avoided had they agreed up front what the valuation was going to be for their shares in the event that either of them wanted out. To tell you the rest of the story himself, here's John Maddox. John Maddox, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Man, thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to talking about this. I know it's a very uh, something that people are always looking for. Hey, I'm going to build this company and sell it. And sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. But uh, happy to share uh, my experience and uh, what I've been up to since. Cool. So you started 10 Fast Feet back in 2008. For people who don't know the company, maybe describe what you guys did. Uh, so we were a we started off as kind of a web design company with the macro objective of turning into, you know, full-scale uh, interactive agency doing web applications and mobile apps. And, you know, the real kind of objective was, say, let's start off. It's the dead center of a recession. We've got an amazing opportunity. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of companies, a lot of people in general uh, in downturns economically uh, retract. And if you have the, the stones, if you will, to go out there and be aggressive, you can grab a lot of market share. And that was kind of, uh, that was our game plan. So we started off uh, just myself and my old partner, and then we ended up building that company uh, it's about 30 employees doing uh, about 2.3 million in revenue. I think was what we did the last year, and uh, it, it really um, exploded. It was interesting, you know, going from just me and my old partner building websites at three o'clock in the morning, uh, trying to keep up all the business we were selling, to you know having full scale teams and project managers and uh, other salespeople and all that kind of stuff. It was it was pretty fun. You remember IBM had that big quote. I, I don't know if it was Lou Gerstner or maybe one of the older CEOs who said. Uh, or actually, it wasn't actually a quote. It was actually a study. And they looked at, at the last recession when people invested in the last recession. Uh, if they had, to use your words, the, you know, the, the, the courage to uh, invest, they actually came up way better after the recession. Did you use that, st- you know, that statistic or that study when that, you were uh, pitching? That was, ex- that was exactly um, – that was exactly our mindset. I'd actually read that exact study you're talking about and said, huh, there's gonna be a lot of people uh, in retreat. Let's, let's go steal market share. We, we did a lot in terms of search optimization and, and very, very aggressive um, marketing, uh, trying to create you know, a value proposition that was hard to say no to, if you will, uh, for a lot of our potential clients. And that really extrapolated out into you know, being able to secure you know, companies like Bridgestone Americas, uh, which actually happens to have their headquarters here in Nashville, Hoshkarana Viking. Uh, we actually did, we did business with Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt University and a variety of other, you know, publicly traded companies uh, that kind of came out of nowhere. And it was just, hey, we're this little shop in the middle of nowhere in Nashville. And uh, we, weren't, we weren't the cool city yet uh, when we were starting out. And uh, we were starting to grab business from all over the world. Well, that's really cool. So you, you had a four-year run, right? You went 2008 and you sold in, in 2012. Is that right? Uh, no, it was 2000. When actually the deal actually got finalized, it was 2013. Okay. So a five-year run. As you look back on that five-year run, 
Um, was there, could you point to a milestone uh, or an event in time that you thought was sort of a seminal moment, an inflection point for the business, a real changing or a defining moment that, that helped you get growing so quickly? Uh, yeah, I, I can remember that very well. I was uh, standing outside of our office in downtown Nashville and a guy walked by and I uh, said, hey, what do you guys do? And I started to tell him and he said, oh, nice to meet you. And he ended up, turns out he lived in one of the condos uh, right around the corner from our office. And uh, the next day I got a phone call from a gentleman in South Carolina uh, who had owned a pretty sizable company and they were looking to have some, uh, a variety of things done and basically in our service line. And uh, he said, Kate, can I uh, come to Nashville tomorrow? Will you spend the day with me? I said, uh, so you're telling me you want to drive over to, to Nashville from South Carolina and spend the day with me and talk about doing business. And I was like, sure, no problem. So he did, came over, and uh, we spent the day going over their business plan, his requirements, what they needed. And uh, that afternoon, uh, I signed a deal for about $240,000. And uh, that turned into a pretty sizable ongoing recurring revenue client for us and really gave us the cash flow we needed to hire more people and really expand the, the, the firm. How did you get recurring revenue into business, which is in that business, it's typically one and done, right? You've got a project, you build a website, you build an app, you send the invoice, and then you're scrambling to find the next project. How did you create recurring revenue? <laughs> well, I, I used to joke about that. The I felt like I was in the hamster wheel chasing the perpetual cheese uh, when you're in line with what you're saying on the one and done uh, projects. So you really built the recurring revenue. It really turned into going after the retainer clients, you know, larger companies that needed things on an ongoing basis, but didn't necessarily want to uh, build a whole in-house team. Uh, There's that. Then you had things like, uh, you know, search optimization, social media marketing, you know, different things in that nature that, you know, kind of an ongoing uh, service line. But really it was the retainer clients that needed things from video production to new websites built for different campaigns they were doing. Um, or maybe there was a large scale, uh, inter more enterprise project they needed for, you know, interior, uh, internal uh, custom solutions that were getting ongoing maintenance and uh, upgrades. Got it. And, and you mentioned you had a partner in this business when you started it. Um, talk maybe about the dynamic with your partner. Uh, did you start it together? Were you old buddies from school? Did you, like, how did you come together? What was that like? Uh, no, we weren't old buddies from school. The, uh, it's actually pretty funny. I, I had been, uh, my previous company, I had been working with uh, TV stations around the country. And uh, very long story short, uh, I was getting, taking advantage of uh, promotional money uh, that was uh, given to all of the different uh, markets. And when the crash happened, uh, basically all of that money went bye-bye. It disappeared. And I knew I could I would have to stop trying to get blood from a stone, at least for uh, a few years. Uh, so I was kind of pivoting and looking for somebody to work with that had more experience than I did in context of you know building out software, web applications, things like that. And I met Nathan, and uh, we got together and talked. And he needed somebody who had to do business development and was aggressive on that side of the strategy um, component and to be really uh, – kind of pair up. So that's what kind of brought us together. And we ended up coming uh, pretty close for, for a while and uh, ended up, yeah, we used to joke about this. We were kind of two sides of the same coin. Uh, he was the more organized and logistical one. And I was the more uh, outgoing extrovert that could bring in the business and uh, kind of looked big picture on different strategies that we tried to execute. So you had this great, great run with Nathan. You started in 2008. You're up to 2.3 million. You've got 30 employees. I mean, things are looking good. What, what was the trigger that made you want to sell? 
Well, leading up to the trigger I'll tell you about in a second, I had been really wanting us to shift our company away from uh, just being a work-for-hire business. You know, we'd gotten to the point where we had uh, good cash flow, uh, fantastic team. I mean, the a lot of the members of my team have gone on to be uh, well, v- very sought-after um, talent, and we had managed to put together this you know fantastic team that can compete uh, with any of the major players around the world. And uh, anyway, I was constantly getting uh, pitched really interesting ideas for new companies and great business idea. I'd love to be uh, to see us build that. And as soon as I tell them how much it was going to cost, the vast majority of them uh, went into panic mode of, "Well, I've no." Way I've- that much me. And uh, I, I kind of identified uh, what I used to call the uh, Gordian Knot conundrum in the uh, tech startup space, which is a, at least out here in the South, it's a little bit different in the Valley, but in the South, um, you have to have a prototype before you can raise capital. And if you don't have the capital, you can't get the prototype. So hence the Gordian Knot conundrum. And uh, so I kind of said, hey, what's the Alexander sword uh, to cut this knot? And it was, hey, it's a company like us, us have the cash flow. We need to start taking on these projects for equity and really accelerate the growth, get proof of concept, and then go after capital. And I've been trying to convince my old partner for us to shift our business away just from the short-term profit more into looking at things from a long-tail perspective. And we had a little bit of a difference of opinion on that. And uh, anyway, that kind of correlated uh, or actually culminated uh, when uh, I had a found out I was having a massive brain hemorrhage and ended up having to have emergency surgery to save my life. And uh, that kind of sparked the whole process, which uh, ultimately ended in me uh, selling my stake in the company. Wow, that's a... <laughs> So it started with a very practical, you know, difference of opinion with your your partner, but then it became a very real life event. So you you were diagnosed. Uh, how did you know you were having a brain hemorrhage? I mean, did did you fall down one day, or did it was came on over time? Like, how did that feel? Uh, well, my world kind of faded to black. It was uh, I kind of I joke about this, but I was in the in my office discussing uh, with a billionaire client of ours. I was discussing with him what I was trying to pull off on uh, kind of a shifting the business model, and I was trying to convince him to fund it. To be honest, but uh, anyway, I, my world faded to black, and I woke up in an ambulance, and uh, they took me to the hospital and. We're checking me out and everything seemed fine. And being the uh, the tightwad I was at the time, I refused to have a MRI done because they wanted to charge me like twenty seven hundred dollars, and I was like, not going to happen. And uh, anyway, so that's uh, kind of sparked me. I went and had a physical and some other things, and uh, ultimately had a CAT scan. And I uh, hadn't made it from the place I had the CAT scan done back to my office, which was about a mile and a half away, before they called me and wanted to know where I was and uh, informed me I was having a brain hemorrhage. And uh, I turned around and drove myself to the hospital. And that's what uh, kind of started this whole process. Wow. So obviously a life-changing event. How long were you in hospital for? Uh, I was only in the hospital for about three days. Um, had surgery the next day. And... Uh, I think they kept me a day and a half, and then I uh, went home. Thankfully, my parents were here in Nashville over to help take care of me during that little uh, that that time. But uh, took me a couple, yeah, about a month. Well, for the next two and a half months after that, I was on under orders from the doctors to uh, not walk too fast or I might die. Um, so that was a very interesting paradigm shift for me. It gave me a lot of time for um, for thought analysis because you know, I'd gone from running a thousand miles an hour for four years to being under orders to not walk too fast, and it really kind of puts life into perspective. And so, how did you go from that to? Because a lot of people would come out of that and think, okay. Uh, you know, I'm healthy now. I want to rededicate myself to growing a successful firm. But you made a different choice. Take take us through your thought process there. 
Uh, well, after I was given the the green light from the doctors, uh, I won't get into too many details, but my partner and I had a little bit of a falling out and a difference of opinion on a few things. And you know, it was kind of ironic. While I was in the hospital before my brain surgery, you know, when I was being told by neurologists that you know I should have, they were just blown away that I was alive. Um, I did a little bit of self analysis then, and it was. I've been given a second opportunity at life, and what are the things that I want to do with the talents that I have? And the thing that really kind of put me over the top was uh, I was informed that the majority of my brain hemorrhage was where uh, verbal communication happens in the brain. And I should not have been, if I hadn't dropped dead, I shouldn't be able to talk. And I was sitting there carrying on high level conversation with uh, neurosurgeons and neurologists. They were just flabbergasted. And that moment of, uh, self-discovery, if you will, of, hey, I'm being given a second chance and I still have my greatest strength. Uh, I'm going to go out and uh, make something happen. And that really correlates with uh, your question, which is I had decided then that just doing things in the short term was not going to be what I did with my life. And I really wanted to go out there and help make a difference for a lot of other people. I'd had the opportunity and the privilege uh, to be here in America and to build a company and have the time available to me um, that money buys. And there are so many folks that are completely controlled by the nine to five uh, job and we've been conditioned as a society to you know, focus on that. And if, if you're going to take risk, uh, wait till you're further on in life to, to make those gambles. And my personal opinion is that's a completely, uh, complete antithesis of what you should do. You should take your gambles when you're young because you always have the opportunities uh, to come back if you fail. But you had a, you had a business. Uh, you, could you not have gambled within that? Ch- like, why was it necessary to sell, I guess? Because uh, you, you certainly had your entrepreneurial business going. Why, why sell it? Uh, strong difference of opinion with my partner. And so talk to us about the sale itself. Did you, did you have a shotgun agreement that you, uh, you could offer one another a, a fair price and the other had the option to, to, uh, to accept it or what, how was the deal structured? <laughs> well, that's uh, something I would share with everybody who's uh, starting companies. Uh, make sure you have those accounted for. Uh, otherwise, it turns into a very interesting back and forth between attorneys uh, negotiating over um, value and justification of um, exit and all those kind of things. Um, it, it's very, very interesting and costs you a lot of money <laughs> with the uh, with the attorneys. And very often, your relationships can become very soured, if you will, um, as you go back and forth with these uh, these kind of conversations. So in your case, you, you wanted to sell your shares to your partner? Uh, well, actually, he wanted to buy me out um, is how the whole conversation started uh, after it kind of came to realization that we weren't going to come to an agreement on what the best path of the company was. Um, he offered to buy me out and I said, okay. And then we started the uh, negotiations at that point. And, and did you have any sort of agreed a formula with which to, to buy one another out? Or was it starting completely from a fresh you know, sheet of paper? Yeah, a fresh sheet of paper. And so you, he obviously you know, put a value on your shares, which you felt was, was too low. And, and that's where the, the negotiation started. <laughs> You, you could say that, yeah. There was there was def- definitely a little bit of uh, difference of opinion, if you will, of uh, the value of the company number one, and then uh, what, uh, yeah, it, it was it was rather uh, confrontational. Right. So how how did you go from that confrontation to, to actually ultimately comp- you know consummating a deal? What were the next steps to get you to to an actual exit? 
Well, a lot of back and forth between the attorneys. And then uh, what it really boiled down to, you know, because we got to the point where it was uh, no face-to-face conversation, put you that way. And uh, anyway, it finally came down to, yeah, let's get this deal done. And um, I went and met him face-to-face, and we kind of had a uh, rubber-meets-the-road conversation and ultimately uh, agreed to terms and then executed the deal. And so your partner bought the shares out from you. So so now he is the full 100% owner. Yes. Um, yep. They actually ended up, uh, it's pretty funny, the, the company ended up doing a pretty dramatic pivot um, not long after I left and uh, is now doing some some different adventures. But um, that was, yeah, it was it was a very interesting time in my life and, uh, you know, recovering from massive brain surgery, going into negotiations with the lawyers and, uh, you know, making a massive shift in, in life and mindset and, you know, a very strong dynamic change uh, from what I had been doing to what I'm doing now. It's definitely something that I think people need to try to account for as much as possible. Then one of the things I really learned from it was you never know when life can make dramatic changes. And, uh, if you haven't at least accounted for it, even in your, even in your youth, you know, I was 29 years old when this was going on and you know, I'd worked my tail off to become a millionaire. My objective was I want to be a millionaire by the time I was 30 and I'd pulled it off. And then uh, suddenly I was being faced with a, um, you know, dramatic shift in life and focus. Just amazing. You know, built cell radio listeners, you've heard me talk about this before, but the idea that, you know, when, when you go to exit your business, the two most common triggers for an exit discussion are one, you get offered uh, an unsolicited offer from a third party you weren't expecting Two, you have some sort of health event and, and Nathan or John, you're a, a good example of that. So in this negotiation with Nathan, he comes in and offers you, uh, uh X for your shares. How, how far were you apart? Uh, again, we don't need to know the exact numbers, but if you could give me a sense of, you know, was it, did you want twice as much for your shares that he was willing to offer or 10 times as much? Like what was the difference? Are we talking small you know, difference or, or massive orders of magnitude? Ma- <clears throat> massive, massive uh, orders of difference. What it did was, you uh, think the company was worth? Uh, well, in, in our business, um, generally, you know, in the, in the service business, you can usually get, you know, one to one and a half X, um, revenue. Um, sometimes it, it varies based on, you know, growth patterns and whatnot. And, you know, we'd grown, uh, the company at that point, I think it was 1400% over a three year period. Um, which in my opinion showed a pretty sizable amount of uh, expansion and value uh, uh, to the shares as uh, you know that level of growth. And I had provided a, you know, at that point uh, from a business development standpoint, I mean, I had done 99.9% of all the, the business development at that point to get us to the stage uh, where we were. So just from like, you know, from a key man uh, standpoint, you know, the value that I'd brought to the table um, was pretty, pretty sizable. Um, and did you think you should be compensated for that past work, the, the, the fact that you had driven most of the sales, or, or were you thinking more in the context of the future of the company without you was maybe not as successful? Both. Both. The, uh, and it turns out that I was correct um, on, on both, uh, both sides of the equation, you know, for further down the road. But um, 
it, it was it was a difficult time. Um, I'm not gonna lie; it was it was very hard to uh, you know go back and forth, and you know it's basic baseline negotiations. Obviously, I mean the the other party's gonna try and start as low as possible, especially when you get into confrontation um, and try and force you to come closer to them versus the other way around. You know, Warren Buffett's you know such a such a huge proponent of the kind of one page negotiation, face to face, no lawyers. You probably heard him talk about this 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 idea that you know you got to agree to the business principles of a deal face to face with the other side. And, and the only thing lawyers are going to do is, is maybe screw that up once they get involved. <laughs> but, you, you know, if you try to negotiate through lawyers, uh, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. I mean, do, do you look back at getting the lawyers involved so early as as maybe something you do differently or, or not? It was it necessary? Um. Yeah, I mean, to looking back on it, I mean, the the deal ultimately got done um, when we did exactly what Warren Buffett said. Um, you know, the the legal side of it was just having different protections in for both of us. Um, you know, as the deal was exiting, and we we had some different terms of um, you know competition and, and different aspects like that that needed to be delineated. You know, from a legal standpoint, but uh, I, I agree with you 100 percent that uh, if I had it to do over again, I it would have been a Hey, we're going to do this face-to-face period, and if you don't want to, then we're not going to have a deal. Period. Yeah, yeah. How did you, how did you deal with uh, the 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 overall transaction timing? Because in most professional services businesses, as you know, they you know they get paid out over time, right? So you don't get the one and a half times revenue as a check the day that mm-hmm. <laughs> you know the deal consummates. It's it's paid out usually in tranches over years in the future. How did you guys deal with the? The actual timing of, of the transaction. Um, there was a uh, upfront payment on the execution of the deal, and then a uh, over a two year period, the remainder was paid out. Got it. Over a staggered set of dates. Mm-hmm. Got it. And I guess again, over as you look at the entire experience, uh, what's the one thing you might do differently had you had it to do all over again? I probably would have uh, not signed the deal, <laughs> at least for uh, a while longer. Um, you know, at the time, I was, I wasn't sure if I'd ever be who I was before, and um, you know, I didn't know at, at the time. I wasn't sure if I would ever be able to bring back the value proposition that I had before, and that really influenced um, the deal ultimately took and you know, how the negotiations um, went. I wasn't sure if I could be that, that guy again. Um, you know, it's, I've ret- returned to who I was. Um, so I had to do over again. I probably would have, um, you know, I might've might tried to work it out and um, made the, the business business go, but uh, to where I'm, I am now, I really don't have that many regrets. Um, it was the right move at the time. And, you know, the, where I'm heading in life now, I never would have uh, gone down, uh, gone down that path, even though I knew it was one I wanted to, I knew it was one I wanted to pursue. Yeah. It's that old expression, you know, always trying to negotiate from a point of strength. In your case, you didn't even know if you were going to have the ability to, to, to talk and to develop business, uh, whether that was going to come back. And, and th- that must have given you a sense of, of tremendous sort of fear and trepidation going into those negotiations. Uh, not not so much on the the fear interpretation side. It was more of a do I even want to bother trying to go down this path? Um, in terms of returning to what I had been doing before, that was when it was the fear fear negotiation wasn't really there. Um, some anger maybe, but uh, not not fear interpretation. The uh, it was really the do I even want to pursue this um, 
this fashion of business. Mm. Is it worth it? Yes. Tell us about what you're doing now, because you've turned this experience and, and all the, many of your other entrepreneurial experiences into a, just a tremendous story. Talk about Serious Startups, would you? Yeah, so uh, I ended up, uh, the first iteration of Serious Startups was uh, what I wanted to do with my uh, previous company, with 10 Fast Feet. Uh, put together a team of some really talented folks, and we uh, went out and searched out some really interesting startups and uh, worked with a few of those for a while. And then as my uh, my own personal capital, uh, I was like, huh, I'm going to spend all this really quick if I don't start making some pivots. So uh, myself and another gentleman, uh, David Ledgerwood, uh, we acquired a startup publication um, called Niblets that we rebranded under Serious Startups and uh, kind of leveraged that as a promotional tool and a different way to really dive into the the startup space and really start to create relationships. You know, it was kind of one of the big objectives we had um, with that. And that led us to starting uh, the Let's Talk Serious Startups podcast, uh, which really focuses on the nuts and bolts of success. You know, I, I joke about this all the time, but if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you better walk into it expecting to get punched in the face at least 10 times a week. And uh, if you ever, get, when you get knocked down, if you don't, uh, yeah, I, I say this in humor, but um, Rocky Five is one of my favorite movies. And at the end of the end fight scene, uh, Mickey comes to see Rocky. And uh, he says, I didn't hear no bell. Get up one more round. And uh, I used to tell myself that on a regular basis um, when we were building 10 Fast Feet. And I saw on a regular basis now of, uh, you know, get up, make things happen. And, um, you know, the, the round's not over yet. You're still alive. You have opportunities to make a difference. It's a great, it's a great analogy for sure. What advice do you give these startups that come to you for advice, whether it's through the radio show or through the publication, around building to sell? Have you have you got sort of advice that you impart for for them? Yeah, I mean the you know there's two types of selling, right? So there's selling stock um, and equ equity in the in the front end uh, for investment capital, which is its own uh, aspect of selling, right? That's a whole other animal uh, of complicated factors, um, but it's a very very important one to remember. Uh, but in terms of building your company to sell, you know there's there's two different types. You got the unicorns and the you know the large scale acquisitions, and then you've got the companies you can build that might be uh, might be acquired, but into a you know more regional company. Um, but I, I think the most important things to really take, uh, take into account is going to be, you know, recurring revenue is one of the most attractive reasons for acquisition and provides the highest evaluations, right? So let's say you're a software as a service platform. Um, you can reasonably expect, you know, 10 to 12 X, uh, gross revenue. If you have a recurring revenue model, which is monstrous versus, you know, the service based business, maybe one and a half to two times, uh, revenue on a, on a sale. Um, so, you know, really, you know, how, what are the smartest ways to keep your, uh, your profit margin good, uh, even if you're not a recurring revenue model? Um, but what's the, what's the processes that you can prove um, have directly implemented your year-over-year -year growth? You know, that's another massive factor that people really need to take into account is, you know, what's your scale of growth? You know, in context of what we did, it was zero to 1,400% uh, growth over a three-year period. That's massive for most. You know, we made onto the uh, into the Inc. 500 new companies and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, those kind of factors uh, really come into play in terms of valuation and then also a justification of uh, of the deal to, to larger companies. Great advice, John. Where do people reach you? Uh, best way to get hold of me is uh, John at SeriousStartups.com, or you can tweet me 
at John Maddox. I'm always uh, around. And for anybody who uh, has a company they're trying to raise capital for, uh, make sure you reach out to me. I've got a radio show here in Nashville called The Crowdfunding Pitch Show. And I like to help uh, entrepreneurs have them come on my show and then pitch uh, the city for investment capital. John Maddox, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you, and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at Facebook.com slash Built to Sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. Thanks for listening.